Yeah. Oh, sorry, Adam. In my notes that I have written down and uh, gave him Russ's news that Adam doesn't even know, so I'm breaking some news on the pod right now. Um, we have our very first sponsor. Whoa. Yes. Um, I got a local chain, uh, an El Pollo Loco chain from Santa Ana um, to sponsor us. So um, the only thing is that we have to say the word loco five times throughout the episode. You already hit one. Uh, yeah. yeah, but I just before loco, we get loco. <laughs> yeah, before we get started though, let's uh, each of you kind of give me like use loco in a sentence for me if you could. I hate. <laughs> I love El Pollo Loco. Uh, what? Welcome everybody to episode number 16 of Ghost Party Radio, an in-depth and very serious exploration into the world of genre film hosted by two small-time cowards. I'm your host, Adam Cervantes Wagner, and allow me to introduce Ein in man form, Trevor Dillon. Mm, man, I'll, I'm going to start the episode off. This is some BS, an Adam episode. We have to sit here and listen to this guy host the show. How are you doing, Trevor? Do you know who Ein is? Um, I know who Ayn Rand is. Okay. Uh, actually, I have something to bring up that I learned recently at the top of the show here. Um, did you know that within Muppets movie canon, it's established in that universe that uh, Kermit is responsible for 9-11? <laughs> we- <laughs> Explain yourself. So there's a TV movie that came out in 2002. Uh, it was a Muppets TV movie where... At one point in the movie, Kermit says, it was talking like a fairy, and the fairy says, like, this is what it'd be like if you were never born. And for some reason, they used footage of pre-9-11 for all of that. So somewhere along the way in the timeline, if Kermit hadn't been born, then uh, the two towers would still be standing. <laughs> so you're, you're suggesting that it just any footage of anything pre-9-11 would, would work in that situation? Well, because it came out in t- 2002, and then when oh. they show him... Yeah, when they show him uh, not having been born, the towers are still standing. Well, see, this is why context matters. We're going to talk a lot about context today, and uh, I'm going to be kind of uh, sitting back and listening to you and your guests talk about this movie, and I'm such a novice about what we're going to be talking about today. But, Adam, you know, we can just, like, talk normally at the beginning of the show. You don't need to bring up 9-11 conspiracies regarding the Muppets. Like, we don't have to have prepackaged insane conspiracy theories. That was Henson's vision, obviously. Um, But before we get into it, yeah, let's, uh, Trevor, do we have any user reviews? Yeah, so uh, they're really going to be coming out in full force for this episode already. Speaking of (laughs) 9-11... Uh, and, and I will give a little preview for this episode. I also have some other 9-11 talk later in this episode. But, <laughs> Great. Um, okay, so we do have a, a listener review uh, from Unknown 1993 Forever. And they say, Podcasts for Life. Uh, five stars to the podcast, zero stars to the Attack of the Clones criticism. Excellent chemistry between the bad boys. Mm, what a horrible review. Wow. Wow. They didn't even try to hurt our feelings. Come on. I, I know. They give, they give, they've immediately gave us five stars, and then they hated on a, a bad film, Attack of the Clones, and then said we have excellent chemistry, which is inherently untrue for anybody who's ever listened to this show. Unbelievable. Well, let's bring in some more elements to this chemistry. That's how that works. 
We have two very special guests on the episode today, two of my personal best friends in the whole wide world, Russell Frankston and Gabriel Montemayor. How are you guys doing? Hey, buddy, doing great in no way responsible for 9-11. Yeah, it's me neither. Okay, so, good to hear. We're having a good day so far. Yep. Yeah, that gets my first question out of the way right off the bat. <laughs> um, so let's talk about genre. I know you guys are avid listeners of the film. What are, what are your guys' favorite genre of film? Avid listeners of the film? We're avid listeners of the film, Trevor. Yeah, you heard him. <laughs> Look, uh, it's been a rough day. <laughs> Can we stop with the rough day stuff? I w- was up till 5.30 a.m. this morning, and I'm here recording. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, what? M- m- with, notwithstanding my girlfriend ruining the recording, I'm here trying. Maybe you can ask your girlfriend to take you back to the personal sauna that you were at last week. <laughs> okay, we're, we're already starting callbacks. Listen, this is a Gabe and Russ episode. This is the That's first right. episode for a lot of people listening, because they're bringing in a lot of listeners. They don't even mm-hmm. know what you're talking about when you talk about the sauna. We've got a huge following. Hardly any of them are Muppets fans, so I'm not sure we're off to the best of starts. But uh, genre-wise, um, <laughs> you know, kind of hard to say. I mean, I like a lot of different things. I The way I kind of just landed on one was I just decided my two favorite movies, which, uh, as I've harped on Adam about before, would be 2001 Space Odyssey and uh, There Will Be Blood. So I was trying to figure out something that kind of tied those together, and I came up with... Uh, I mean, they're dramas, right? But specifically cinematic dramas. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not talking about anything too personal. Um, so that's that's kind of what I would go with. Gabe, what do you think? Um, yeah, I feel like as far as my favorite genres, I kind of went the same way. Just thought about what my favorite movies are. These ones are pretty different, but Blade Runner was the first movie that, uh, or one of the first movies that I really liked, and also Lost in Translation. So those are just two different genres, but... What I love about Blade Runner is just all the details and um, it feels like it brings you into, you know, their own little world that they create and you feel like it's very real. And I like mm-hmm. I like Lost in Translation because it's about a very specific feeling or emotion that seems really relatable. So you kind of feel like that is like a, a real thing too. Adam, it seems like they took your question and just uh, decided to tell you about what their favorite films were. <laughs> well, that's great. See, this is why they're my best friends because uh, I'm not much of a genre guy either, Trevor. I, it's hard to define like what is my favorite. Although one of my favorite movies, like Russell, is... Uh, there will be blood. Yeah, know? I mean, we all like there will be blood on the pod. That's not what this podcast is about. It's about genre films. I think maybe oh, we should right. just talk about that. <laughs> Trevor, what would you say your favorite genre is? Uh, my favorite Ooh. film uh, is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, that's great. Thank you for asking that question. I've yet to be asked that uh, on the show before. Adam certainly has <laughs> asked a lot of rude that. guests. Yeah. Um, I will be the fourth or fifth person on this podcast to say that I think my favorite film genre would be horror because i think i find it very malleable like you can throw a lot of stuff into the horror genre it, it blends as a hybrid well with other genres um but i really like a mishmash of genres like i heard a conversation with bong jun ho recently where uh, people were like wow how do you like mishmash genres so well and he's like i just make a movie that i want to make i don't think about blending genres so i would say horror but some some type of horror hybrid um, and that's exactly how you should answer a question like that when Adam asks you. <laughs> is to not really answer, or you're telling us we should have said horror hybrid? <laughs> yeah, I kind of danced around it too. But no, uh, but like, <laughs> like, like an actual, um, an actual. So, like, if your favorite movie is Lost in Translation, that is a genre, right? It's not just drama. It's like, oh, you're right. That movie doesn't really fit into it. Yeah, let's get this guy off the show. 
Right. That's why. Well, so I'll, I can get into mine a little bit more. So cinematic drama. I'm talking about something specifically big, like like the scope of 2001: Space Odyssey is more than just like what you would think of necessarily if you hear the word drama. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what obviously would you classify that as, Adam? Oh, I don't know. It's uh, epics. It's an epic. Yeah, Space yeah. Epic. I think that's I think that's a reasonable word for it. Yeah. Yeah. But you're you're almost getting into space opera territory here, which is our interesting uh, season. What what's your guys' history with that? Um, space operas. I feel like I am not too well versed in space operas. I feel like maybe the the two things that I've seen that are relevant, just the Star Wars series and then the movie Dune, which is very interesting. Uh, and entertaining, uh, <laughs> but yeah, those are, those would probably be the two examples I think of. David Lynch's crowning achievement. Yeah, I absolutely. think we would all agree. Yeah, the uh, those sonic suits. I think about a lot how good they looked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so space operas. Uh, so I'm a pretty big sci-fi guy as far mm-hmm. as space operas specifically go. Um, not as well versed in it, kind of, kind of more with Gabe. Again, my my thing is a little bit more like intense epic type stuff, which obviously some space operas can fit into. But like Gabe mentioned, Star Wars. I mean, I've I've been a huge fan of Star Wars as a kid growing up. You know, pretty much my whole life. So mm-hmm. everything through the prequels too. I didn't know you guys were bashing on. Uh, oh no, no, no! You were talking about the Clone Wars animated film, weren't you? No, we not, were talking about um, Attack which, of the Clones episode two, which is not good, but I still love. You know, yeah, so. we actually came around on that episode. We uh, we really like it. We're defenders now. Yeah, I mean, we 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 do acknowledge it's not a good film by any means, but I really right. did enjoy. It was almost like watching a minor TV show, like like that would be put on Disney Plus or something about Star Wars. I I, I wasn't offended by it in any way. I feel like what you said probably encapsulates what a space opera is pretty well. <laughs> For the, at least for most of the ones I've seen. Uh, some other notable ones that I like a lot: um, the Planet of the Apes. Um, I you know I, I've always loved I'm not the new series the the original, um, and then a couple other more fun ones that I think are kind of you know more in the wheelhouse of it would be Total Recall, which I actually just saw for the first time incidentally a couple of months ago and absolutely loved, and that movie is just a madhouse like awesome space ride so that that was a good time. Uh, Independence Day is another one that me and a couple of other buddies quote all the time. It's just a great down the middle movie. Uh, <laughs> And that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. So, oh, you know, I haven't finished it, but I started uh, the series Firefly as well recently with my wife. Uh, we're about halfway through it so far and definitely enjoying it. Um, like you said, it's kind of, well, that one is specifically kind of what you described, Trevor, with the, uh, you know, something you're just like watching on TV that's like adventurous and kind of low stakes, just fun to put on, you know. Adam, uh, Russ just said my wife, so go ahead and pull out your Borat impression. <laughs> oh, Before great. I get to that... Uh, Russell, can you give us your best Arnold impression? What do you want to hear? Uh, <laughs> Get you know your ass scene? to Mars. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we could do it at the same time. Okay. Yeah, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Three, two, one. My... Get your ass to Mars! My wife. Okay. That's really good. That's going to stay in the show. Arnold. I don't even think Arnold says that line in Total Recall. <laughs> I don't think he does. Uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> also, all um, the examples you brought up of space opera movies you like are just movies I'd much rather be talking about today than Cowboy Bebop. But you know, <laughs> oh. um, uh, what do you? What do y'all? We have not. We've sidestepped the Star Wars talk on this episode. Thank goodness. I heard some criticism about our Jupiter ascending episode, and how we spent the first eighteen minutes talking about Star Wars. <laughs> um, what do y'all think about Interstellar? That was the number one space opera movie on uh, Letterboxd. 
Hmm. You know, I didn't know if that would be considered a space opera. Um, I mean, it's definitely like a space adventure, um, but I didn't. I, I love that movie. I'll, I'll start off there. So I um, I thought it was a really fantastic experience to go to go check that film out. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily all the themes I thought were like the best or most well fleshed out, but it was. I just thought it was such an enjoyable movie start to finish. Um, that's actually probably one of my fav- most favorite uh, film experiences I've had at like going to a theater in the last handful of years, I would say. Yeah, that uh, one was definitely really fun to, to watch in theaters. I feel like I definitely like that one as well. I revisited it at um, the Frida Cinema on the big screen by myself, everyone. Don't worry, it wasn't in a crowd. Uh, and it was, it's my favorite Nolan movie. I, I think it, I think it's fantastic. Like I, I really came around. I, I saw it in IMAX opening night and I slept on it a little bit. Then I revisited it um, on a smaller screen, but still like a 33-foot huge screen, and I thought it was fantastic. Adam, do you like Interstellar? Yeah, I really do. Uh, it is it is an experience, which is so great. And I think what, I'll watch that movie just for the music alone, you know, okay. just to listen to it again. Yeah, I mean, it's in space with that amazing Hans Zimmer score. It's operatic in its own way. And if Letterbox says it's number one, then I'll take it. It's definitely a space opera. We will not be talking about it on this series, but maybe one day. Right, and uh, I know... Uh, uh, Russ and Gabe have some experience with uh, novels and the space opera. Russ turned me on to Childhood's End, which I mentioned at the beginning of this season, um, which I would consider probably a space opera. It's just cool and great in scope. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, yeah, I uh, I went on a huge sci-fi kick in terms of uh, the, the novels I've been reading over the last few years. What started it off was finding a, a really cool-looking copy of Dune, Mm-hmm. picking that up and then just kind of hit the ground running with it so i know gabe mentioned that already um obviously the uh if you guys have read it the book is much better than uh, david lynch's interpretation but uh not more fun <laughs> so uh there's that um mentioning childhoods and yeah arthur c clark uh which again tying back into 2001 space odyssey uh, which he co-wrote with kubrick as you know but um, he's got a lot of these short stories where, like you said, I think it would definitely fit in with the genre, uh, cause it's such like an epic scope. It's not necessarily like the biggest adventure. Um, and most of his books are just kind of like this really cool, like larger idea that he encapsulates through the book. So as I kind of warn everybody who I, who I, uh, recommend those to, as I've noticed with a lot of sci-fi writers, it's not necessarily the best like character writing or even plot development, but like this, they have this really cool idea that comes out at the end of the thing that just makes it such a cool experience to go through. Um, and Childhood's End was definitely a standout for me, so I'm glad you liked it too. Yeah, it's almost kind of like Interstellar, right? Like we're not really connecting too much with those characters, but just just writing it out with them is so much fun. Speaking of epic, actually, right after this recording, I'm going to roll it up to my uh, very first pop-up drive-in. For the listeners out there, I've done 115 pop-up drive-ins since um, June 2020. We've been working really hard over at the Frida, but I'm going to my first pop-up drive-in myself. Uh, I'm going to be seeing Return of the King at the Hollywood Legion uh, pop-up drive-in uh, tonight, so I'm really excited about that. And it's the theatrical cut, so the brand new 4K restoration. I've never seen the theatrical cut, but I'm ready to really check out and watch something epic for sure. Nice. Uh, so if anyone wants to go meet up with Trevor tonight, it'll be at the Hollywood Legion drive-in. Uh, this yes. episode will be coming out the Friday afterwards, so good luck. Yeah, r- roll up if you if you can. And uh, that gets us into the movie that we're talking about today, Cowboy Bebop the Movie, or also known as Knocking on Heaven's Door, which is described as 
A terrorist explosion releases a deadly virus on the masses, and it's up to the bounty-hunting Bebop crew to catch the cold-blooded culprits. Uh, Trevor, do we have any letterbox ratings for this movie? We sure do. We sure do. Um, I'm going to read. Uh, I don't have any from my friends on Letterbox. Weirdly, my friends are not uh, real big up on Cowboy Bebop the movie, but I have some recent, recent reviews here. We're going to start here because I think you all will be interested in this review. It's the most recent review on Letterbox from listener <laughs> Bliss N gives it three and a half stars and says about as good as an average episode of the show would recommend seven out of ten. I think that's pretty fair. It, it fits in with the rest of it. I think so too. And yeah, and actually, before uh, before watching it, a lot of stuff online was recommending that you actually watch it before you finish the season, even though the movie came out before, because it really is kind of like an extended episode of the show mm-hmm. um, that would, in the timeline of it, take place before the last, you know, before the ending. Right. Um, so I thought that was interesting as well. Speaking of which, uh, we are going to get into the spoilers of the movie, but also of the show. So uh, keep an ear out if you don't want to hear that. Um, Trevor, I know you've already forfeited. No, yeah, spoilers are fine with me. Spoil away. Uh, The next review is from Joni, listener Joni. Uh, Joni gives it five stars, says, This anime is the greatness of all anime for me, not only for the music, which is unique, but for the style of action it has. I've seen the whole series in this movie more than three times, and it doesn't tire me at all. Recommended you're obviously going to have your big anime fans and and this series not really the movie itself but is considered one of the greats in the anime canon this and evangelion and uh this creator's follow-up um samurai champloo which i watched with gabe um they're all considered you know the great literary works of the anime world so there's going to be a lot of fanboys we're pretty hot on it but uh i don't think as hot well, let's start talking about uh, what we liked in the movie. Uh, Gabe, you want to give me something that you really enjoyed? Yeah, about the movie, I think the most enjoyable part for the movie for me was definitely the action scenes, mm-hmm. whether it was um, the cool dog fights or just the beginning scene, too, where they're just fighting in a convenience store. Mm-hmm. I think they really nailed the action in the movie and in the, the whole show. Yeah, one thing that the two of us were kind of talking about is with, with the animation specifically, it definitely was noticeably different than the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a really cool way, I thought they you know stayed true to the animation of the series, but then were able to you know kind of up it, up the ante a little bit with uh, what I'm presuming is a, was a much larger budget. Um, mm-hmm. And like Gabe said, the like the the action animation is really second to none. Um, the funny thing about both those reviews is they kind of landed in different spots there, but I I totally agree with both the things that both those people said. Um, you know, at once it does kind of feel like an extension of the sh- you know just a normal episode, uh, but then the other side of it, it really is um, like the the art style of this thing. You know, the movie as well as the show really is kind of a template. Um, in terms of the anime world, like you mentioned, Adam. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's cool to see where, where the stuff's coming from and where it ended up with the movie. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think if I had to pinpoint the difference there, it might have been like they upped the frame rate a little bit. You can see a lot when Spike is fighting and you, you can see the details of like his movement and everything very Bruce Lee-esque. But the way that his hands move and flow, it, it's like really seamless, almost, almost live action-y. He called you a cowboy. What did he mean? What are you? Just a humble bounty hunter, ma'am. Trevor, do you... So the three of us, you know, we're big weebs over here. We, we, we watch the show and everything. Um, what's your history with this show, with the anime in general? 
Yeah, so I'm I'm so not versed in anime that I'm afraid to use that W word you just used. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we played uh, Promare mm-hmm. at the theater. And we played, well, we played a lot of um, kind of your basic, your Ghost in the Shells, uh, Akira. We, I just watched that for the first time on the 40-foot screen that we just played. So a lot of your basic stuff that I know will fill the theater up. If there's anything new from Funimation, we'll play it. Anything new from um, Crunch, what is it called? Crunchyroll? Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll play it, and, and we love our anime crowds, and I love the anime crowds. Very, always very polite, very, very nice when they come in, and by the droves. Uh, I don't have a, like I said, I've seen Akira, and I'm probably even saying that wrong. Um, but I'm just a fan of, like, futurism, like, on film, and I wasn't sure if this took place in the future or not, so the second, like, we realized it was, like, 20, what is it, like, 2071 or something, mm-hmm. um, I was, like, immediately in, and it was funny that, um, Gabe mentioned the drugstore scene, right? I thought mm-hmm. that that was such a perfect introduction to that character and stuff, and I am such a sucker for a drugstore scene i thought that was fantastic it played like a western kind of you know with like the drawing the gun and stuff like that and i understood i understood immediately like what a ca- the cowboy thing meant and um i liked that it was futurism and stuff like this and there's like this terrorist attack happening on mars and stuff like that but we can still find a good action sequence just in a normal uh, convenience store um, I'm gonna kind of get it all out here, right here. Um, I do like a like a ruffian gang, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. a, a gang that comes together to solve something. Uh, but you'd have to give me some context on where we're picking up from in terms of their relationship, because that was a little bit. I was a little bit confused there. Um, and we don't need to go too in depth on it because people who are listening to this probably like Cowboy Bebop and know what it is. But I was slightly confused. And then um, I didn't know this was how it was pronounced until the or, uh, the opening of this episode when Adam called me it. But I liked uh, Ayn or Ayn, the uh, data dog, a lot. Yeah. Good doggy. Very good doggy. <laughs> yeah, I thought yeah, you, I like you might like that. Um, wait, so have you never, like, seen a full anime series? No, I've never, I've never, sat, I've never sat down until – I mean, I watched – again, I watched um, Akira for the first time the other day. And I found that to be actually relatively hard to follow. Uh, so if that's where we're starting at the top, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll work my way down. Um, but I just have nobody to impress by watching anime. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just have missing out. <laughs> yep. Like, that's why we all watch is we're trying to impress everybody. Yeah. <laughs> is it, is it working Trevor? Are you impressed? Um, no, I, I, I am because it is, it is, um, it's not normal for me to be kind of in the, the back seat of, of an episode, let <laughs> but free Trevor, hashtag free Trevor. But, um, <laughs> It's also like I, I'm just sitting here and I want to learn about the show, and I don't mind if this episode kind of goes off the rails just talking about other anime. But I'm just kind of warning you that I will not be writing down notes the whole time about like oh, I gotta check this one out, I gotta check this one out. You know, I just want to kind of hear about it, and then I think anime is just something that either someone has to force you into, or you just you just kind of just gravitate towards it. I don't know. Someone drags you to a con or something. You're like, this is gonna be stupid, and then you get there and you see like, oh, this is actually really cool. Uh, let me let me you know. So um, maybe if if we could try to just use this episode at some point to kind of be like, where would you start? You know what I mean? Where would you start if you were getting into anime? But we can do that all later. Let's continue talking about the movie. Yeah, you yeah. Um, you mentioned something about being a little bit confused as to the relationship with the characters, uh, which I think is a really interesting comment because I think you should be confused. Um, one of my main complaints about the movie, which I, I ultimately liked, um, was their use of one of the main characters, which is uh, Jet, the dude who pilots the the main ship that they all they fly on. So 
the relationship is him and Spike, which is the main character. Um, they're, I mean, they're they're kind of partners in it, and he really was underutilized in the in this movie. I felt so. I I completely understand why you'd be a little bit confused as to where they're at. Uh, the two girl characters, um, um, Faye and Ayn and uh, and Ed, yeah. They they all kind of come in later. They're a little bit more secondary to the to the crew, the ragtag crew that you mentioned. So it it definitely felt a little bit off of the show with uh, Jet kind of. I mean, he was pretty much playing uh, chess with the dog for the majority of the movie, right? <laughs> yeah, that was his main contribution. Yeah. Which I'm not complaining about, but I just I could see how you would be confused as to what their relationship with each other is. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're getting into it here. I do kind of feel like the movie was a little bit underwhelming. Um, in a lot of aspects like that, like I would have liked to have seen, I think something a little bit greater in scope. The idea that there is that terrorist releasing um, the chemical weapon is cool, but like the, I, I was, I picked this movie for the space opera genre, and I was really hoping there'd be a lot more um, going on in space because there usually is, and the episodes don't usually stick to to Mars that much. Um, and yeah, I, I feel bad. I feel bad. Also, uh, with Faye, um, she was a little bit underutilized also, and she got kind of in a, into a weird mix. They brought in that other character, um, Electra. I love the kind of woman that can kick my ass. Who had a, had a, which I thought was a good character to introduce in this episode, um, and, and she was pretty strong. But it's weird that they focus so much more on her than the rest of the crew. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Gabe, where are you going to? I think Cowboy Bebop, the, the show is a better format for it just because each episode maybe gets to highlight a certain member of the crew uh, more than the other ones. So maybe it was more difficult for them to, you know, give everyone a fair fair amount of, uh, you know, screen time or, you know, um, action in the movie. Yeah, and then to something that you said, Adam... I, I, as as loath as I am to say, I was also a little bit underwhelmed with the plot. I think it was really well thought out. It was really cool, um, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But in terms of a film, it really did feel like it wasn't any higher stakes or larger scope than a normal episode of the show. Right. Um, in fact, I would say that there are some episodes where the stakes were higher than um even, I mean, we're talking about, I think, literally everyone on Mars getting killed, which is, you know, right. you'd think would be good enough. But um, like you're saying, it wasn't that as space opera-y as most of the rest of the show really is. Uh, part of my favorite parts of any of the episodes when they come up is specifically the uh, when they're flying the ships around and the animation of the dogfights like Gabe mentioned at the beginning mm -hmm. um, is really outstanding. And... The majority of this movie was just on the planet. There really wasn't much in the way of space travel or or like part of the show that I love so much is like anytime they're going through the gate to like kind of like move faster through the solar system and where you know everywhere that they are. Oh, it's yeah. it's just awesome. It looks so cool and like it they're going all kinds of different places, multiple planets and this one really was just on Mars the whole time. Um I I I, I want to make one of my many attempts to derail the podcast real quick but it's it's funny that I wrote down very few notes for this movie and you guys have already basically said them all so now I'm just sitting here like Jesus but um I, I one of my big complaints was that I read and it's, I don't know I again now and now I feel justified in having the complaint cuz I didn't know what the TV show was like but I see this plot about like a terror a terrorist releases a pathogen that's going to kill everybody on Mars in 2071. I'm like, oh, cool, we're going to be on Mars. Like, oh, it's okay, cool. This is going to be like a space. And then, like, it's not really that. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of a, <laughs> it's kind of a big letdown, definitely. But 
the big thing for me, and I don't watch like TV shows. I think that's why I've never sat down and like seen um, a series of anime or whatever, because there's just no chance. But if you distilled it into a two-hour movie like this is, um, I will watch it. You know, and so that that that's the best thing I can say about this movie is that like it made me almost want to watch the TV show that I never will end up watching. But if this is like a good distillation of a two, but it sounds like what you're saying is like, like this isn't even them putting their best foot forward, you know, and that does happen a lot, I'm sure, with movie versions of the te- TV shows, especially anime. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it it's not as maybe as bad as we're giving it off. I think that the what it seems like the the idea that the show wants to convey and the movie is that it's cool, you know, it never really gets too bogged down in a plot. It it's or like a backstory or anything. It kind of covers everything in the coolest way possible, and I do think that the the movie hit that tone. Um, I, I, it does feel in line with the rest of the series. It's just there are some episodes of the show that that leave me and I'm, I'm sure you guys feeling like a little bit more awake inside about something, you know, or just even like really sad or thoughtful about an idea and the movie really didn't leave that, me with that impression i do want to say that we have played cowboy bebop the movie at the theater and it was packed and like it was extremely enthusiastic so like the fans uh contrary to what i'm hearing now and i know you are, i know you guys aren't saying the film was bad maybe just a little bit disappointed based you know based on the series you've been watching but um, they loved it. They thought it was great. So I think the general consensus is that this is not only a good movie, but a good representation of the show. And I'm just telling you what I can base off of 200 uh, W words coming to the theater. Right. Which I think makes a lot of sense, too, because if you were a fan of the show and then it ended and then the movie came out and that's the last thing that you got, it makes sense to be nostalgic about it and have really enjoyed the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, like I keep saying, I did like the movie. It just... Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like adam was saying i mean they've accomplished more in some of like the two-part episodes than they did in the two-hour movie that that this was you know um so the episodes are like 20 25 minutes so they've accomplished just as involved and complicated and high stakes plots in you know under an hour than they did in the in the movie that we that we all watched Mm -hmm. i mean i don't i don't know if you feel like that's off base but no i think so and i feel like like they probably could have distilled this into an episode uh, and it would have would have probably run a little bit smoother, you know, without the gravity of it having been a movie. Right. I think I would agree with that. I think the episode format is definitely um, better for Cowboy Bebop. And mm-hmm. I think the point is also that this is just, you know, one of their many cool adventures. If mm-hmm. you look at it as a whole, then I think that's you know more of an appropriate way to, to look at it. I, yeah, I completely agree. I don't even feel like disappointed is necessarily the right word. It just like it wasn't as grand as I thought it might be. Mm-hmm. But it re- like it really is such a visually striking show and film. Um, and like Adam said, it re- it just is cool. Like everything that you're watching and experiencing, and the ride that you're going along with the, all the characters is a really great experience. And I think ultimately made a, a pretty enjoyable watch. And you, you take too long to take a shit. Some of the thing, you know, to say some good things about it too. Um, I felt like you could really feel a tangible influence on a lot of outstanding sci-fi that's out there in the film. And I have a few examples of that that, I, that I'd point out. Um, so the first off, where like there's some obvious ties to Blade Runner, which Gabe mentioned is one of his favorite films. Um, one specific example of that would be, you know, the atmosphere of like the city 
and everything that you get in Blade Runner was really kind of replicated in this film with like the Arabic uh, shops and everything with the signs as he was kind of going through when he was following, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the character, but the the dude who turned out to be at the head of the, uh, the pathogen project and um, gave him that vase with the bead in it that right. contained the, uh, the virus. That whole scene was, was just like, steeped in blade runnerism mm -hmm. to me mm -hmm. um and a lot of the same thing that we were talking about how the movie does just kind of take place on mars you don't even get the sense that they're on the whole planet necessarily it could just be the one city and it again really felt a lot like blade runner in that way where it was kind of this newer aspect uh with futurism and all these different technologies and uh great style and animation um and then again at the end with the rain coming down and kind of clearing everything up at the end of the film again i thought was a call specifically to blade runner mm -hmm. uh, so you're saying that one of the good things about this movie is that it's a sci-fi film that rips off blade runner <laughs> <laughs> yeah what, what could go wrong i love blade runner yeah uh, no I, I love blade, i love blade runner too Any, anything reminiscent I'm, I'm totally into yeah no i really felt like it kind of it paid homage to a lot of what i'm assuming are the creator's favorite sci-fi films and i mean it really does that throughout the show too like you said cowboy bebop like it's talking it's drawing from westerns it's got this whole style to it and i think it's cool that it's at times pretty upfront about it and like taking ideas that they thought were cool and expanding on them and using them in their own way mm -hmm. um couple other ones another philip k dick idea but i think i mentioned total recall earlier as well and the plot of that has definite ties to uh the plot of the cowboy bebop movie as well i thought um with the you know boiling it down it's a government cover up relating to agents sent to mars which mm -hmm. is you know similar to what we just watched as well mm -hmm. um and one last one that I that I'd noticed when I was watching the movie was there was one specific scene where uh, Spike is going into the lab for the first time and he's wearing a spacesuit and then he's surrounded by all these red lights and again I thought that was an intentional call out to 2001 mm, um, yeah. when Dave is kind of confronting Hal yeah so I loved seeing all that as a sci-fi fan um, all kind of again not in your face about it but incorporated into the movie in what I think was an intentional way I thought was really cool. Yeah, and really subtle and easy. And I like that, you know, it also got to incorporate uh, the first Western that I think we've actually seen. I, I mean, we do see yeah. uh, the show, Hot, uh, what's the name of the bounty hunter show? Hot Shots? Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, Hot yeah. Shots. Yeah. I mean, they're always actual cowboys. But we actually got to see a cowboy movie at a futuristic drive-in, Trevor. How did you feel about that? Yes, very cool. Yeah, no, I, I liked the, uh, listen, we talked about it at the top of the show, genre mashing. We love it. Um but I think that the major thing here, and Gabe touched on it, was that, like, for me, the visuals totally drew me in, especially because I was, like, tired while watching it. And I was like, cool, I'm, like, going to be able to make it through this, like, movie that's probably, like, a half an hour too long. Like, this movie doesn't need to be two hours. Like, towards the end, I was like, you have these terrorists and this biological weapon, and it's, like, kind of drawing me in. But then at the same time, I'm like, this is going on way too long. Mm -hmm. So the plot never kind of grabbed my attention the way that the visuals did um but yeah i, I did appreciate the the nods to other sci-fi films and I'm, I'm teasing like of course yeah if you're gonna make a sci-fi movie like yeah just rip like like give homage to blade runner in 2001 like that's a slam dunk like why not we're all gonna love that um but yeah i mean sorry i i feel like we're being a little too down on this movie generally i just felt it was like a little too long and that i thought the visuals were fantastic and the plot to me 
as an outsider didn't quite grab me but let's 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 um yeah let's keep talking about some awesome stuff like yes the futuristic driving was sweet uh, well yeah i'm curious and this will, i'll get to uh, our guests in a second here but trevor having not seen the show what did you think about the overall tone that they kind of created in the movie well, I was surprised it was rated R. Like, I didn't realize it was rated R while watching it mm-hmm. until it became apparent that it was rated R. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, the same thing just happened to me with uh, Akira, where I was watching it and I was like, wait, is this rated R? Because we were playing it at a location that doesn't allow us to play rated R movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they clearly didn't even look into it. You know what I mean? They were like, oh, an anime movie. You can just play that. And then there's just a bunch of blood and stuff everywhere. But um, the tone was fun. I, I, you know, there's like the gang of ruffian movies you can put together with like Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Where like, we're, we're kind of like, do these people even like each other? Like, are they blah, 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 kind of goofy? But it wasn't that. It was um, kind of, like, you keep saying it, Adam, but it was it was cool. It felt very cool. Like, it made me, when, like, with the cigarette in the mouth and the we- kind of the Western genre mashing, it made me... It was a very easy watch, for sure, even being at two hours long. So yeah. that, that's I think that's the best thing I can say about it. And the music choices? Yes, of course. Um, the Who did the score for this? Does anyone know? Is it, is it, was it the same person who did the score for the show? I assume so. It sounds pretty similar to the... Yeah. yeah. I watched a, I watched the movie on the Funimation Blu-ray that they sent us to the theater when we played it, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I had watched a trailer back then for it, even though I knew I was going to book it anyway. And the, the music in the trailer was completely different than the music in the movie. So I was like the, the trailer, you know, because they, they just need to sell, you know. Uh, so Funimation took it and kind of just made this like really wacky trailer that was like was like had this like really weird music. Kind of, um, I don't even know how, like kind of like Metro Man music. Does anyone know what I mean by that? Like almost like Star Fox type of music uh, to make yeah, it totally. seem more palatable. And then the music in the movie, I, I, I enjoyed a lot more. Yeah, I think that is one of the biggest factors of the show and and the movie. Like, yeah. like Adam said, it carried over. It, the music is really outstanding, and once again, feeding into the whole style and just, I mean, without another word to say, overall coolness of the thing that they created. The the music really matches that, and is a pretty good mashup of different genres as well, which I think goes along with what the show really is. Yeah, I think the ability to you know convey the idea of cool is just so impressive since that is like such a vague feeling or tone it's so interesting to be able to convey that and i think this series just really nailed that and i think definitely the music adds to that i feel like the the music throughout the show seems pretty sparse but whenever they they play it i feel like they nail it right and i think for the creators too it must have been a pretty big aspect of their kind of creative engine because all the episodes are named after songs. You know, there, I've noticed a handful of like Rolling Stone songs. The name of this movie originally was Knocking on Heaven's Door, which is a Bob Dylan song. So I, I think it's pretty important to the vision that they were creating was the ambiance and the music that they, they integrated into everything that they did, mm-hmm. which is really impressive and unique and once again, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I also like that there are a lot of bold choices in the movie and in the show for the music choices because... Uh, like when we get that awesome dogfight near the end where he's kind of on the outskirts of that Martian city, um, it's just that pumped up, super jazzy tune. You know, normally you'd expect something maybe more orchestrated thanks to Disney getting in our heads. But that that was just like sweet, you know, like chilling. You want to drive to that music. Of course, you want to fly to it, too. Um, and then we all kind of seen uh, episode 25 today, uh, maybe a bolder choice. But if you guys remember, when there is a dogfight in that episode... Um, it's almost like a very somber jazz song, you know, almost the complete opposite, which is 
very interesting choice. I like that. Yeah, I completely agree and noticed it too when we just watched that episode when they're being attacked by the uh, the Red Dragon Syndicate. Like like you said, there's this kind of soft, melodramatic, uh, jazzy type thing going on, uh, which is not, not what you kind of grow to expect. I, you know, 25 episodes into the show, it's not really a surprise anymore, but it is definitely unique uh, in terms of other... I mean, even anime that I've watched uh, that that you could compare it to. Mm-hmm. There, there's really nothing that that does that. Yeah, and and I think Trevor, I know what you're saying. Like, I do agree that two. I was surprised to see that it ended up being two hours. Um, but one thing that I think the movie and the show do well is is taking its time. And even scenes within the movie here, where Spike is just sort of walking around the city, you know, trying to figure things out. Like, it's not boring. You know, you're just. They they do such a great job of capturing the world that you're you're kind of cool to walk around with him. Yeah, I'm I'm Doctor Runtime on this show, where I, I'm, that's one of the first things I'll call out about a movie before I've seen it or after I've seen it. It's it's like the one criticism I'll have for most movies is I can immediately tell you like that movie was 20 minutes too long. You know what I mean? Like that's the easiest criticism to make on a movie. But no, you're right. I mean, like for, especially for me, without having any context of the show and needing some sort of backstory and stuff, Gabe had mentioned that I was you know justified to feel confused but i did kind of need that full two hours to immerse me into this one off for me at least all right well uh before we get to rating this guy and talking about the movie a little bit more uh, i want to play a game here called defend your tweets oh my god two real... episodes of... look at this hold on russ and gabe we played this last episode i think That's... he just likes to grill you no i did it to him and we're only supposed to play our games let's go over our games real quick adam hold on yeah, so hold on. It's vengeance <laughs> we're gonna go over our games uh we have a game that adam likes to bring up a lot called who would you rather marry <laughs> between the two of you is that <laughs> <laughs> yeah well boy that this episode this uh podcast will be ripped off the air if that was the case but um <laughs> Uh, we also have a game called Rankum. Adam, do you remember how we play Rankum sometimes? Yeah, where we... if uh, our guest has seen a lot of the films by the director we're talking about, we rank their films. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam, do you know any of the other names of the games we play? Yeah. Uh, how does it relate to Batman? Yes, <laughs> we, we do. We do play. How does it relate to Batman? Anything else? Uh, can you do the can can? Yes. We talk about it if a movie is related to the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, and then um, we're going to be uh, introducing a new one in, uh, in co- the coming days called The Discourse, where we just talk about whatever discourse we want to talk about and release a, an episode a week and a half later after it's not being talked about anymore. Right. But now today we're doing Defend Your Tweets. And Trevor, I want to start off with you. You tweeted out last night, quote, I don't like playing the Twilight movies at the drive-in because everyone mistakes me for Robert Pattinson. Sad emoji. Um... Well, first of all, I, 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 it, this is a joke tweet, of course, because obviously I do like playing the Twilight movies at the drive-in. <laughs> um, uh, Twilight fans are, and I said this twice on the microphone last night, the most, they're the, the most enjoyable fandom we've ever played movies for. Like, I'm not, I'm not joking at all. Like, super enthusiastic, super nice. Uh, but yeah, I did get mistaken for Rob Pattinson like three or four times last night. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, Gabe. March 3rd, 2020, you tweeted, quote, a reptile dysfunction. Uh, you know, what's there to, de- to defend, really? I, why is this under fire? I think that's a great tweet. Uh, do you have the follow-up tweet? It really does speak for itself. I do have the follow-up tweet. There's a, quote, amendment, e-reptile dysfunction. 
E hyphen rectal dysfunction. Uh, you know, I rest my case. Uh -huh. I got one more from you, Gabe. Uh, <laughs> quote, robot mitzvah. <laughs> then it, you know, I, I feel like the with these tweets, it's just so self-encapsulated in one phrase. You know, the brevity, me explaining, me defending, really takes away from the whole mystique uh -huh. of, of the tweets. Uh -huh. uh, you're almost doing it a disservice. That's fair. You know what I enjoy about these tweets is that they don't have that pithy, like, self-deprecation humor after them. Like, e-reptile dysfunction, is that a thing? You know what I mean? Like, they're not, like, commenting on them. They're, you're just throwing it out no, there it, and letting the world do the work. Right. You know, do what you will with it, you know. <laughs> it's your I, I'm presenting it to you. Yes. Yeah, it's not, uh, I did I did a thing, and then you just tweet out that. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just a, yeah, I like it. I like it's, it. It's it's art for art's sake. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, yeah, and I, this this uh, segment is not called Trevor Defends the Guest's Tweets, but I, I think those are great. Uh, and Thank then, of course, much. Russell is, is transcended all of us, for he uh, is not active on social media. <laughs> <laughs> Come get some, Adam. What do you got, What do you have to say? I'm proud of you. You got nothing on me. <laughs> I'm off the grid, baby. Uh, all right, let's get to rating this guy. There you go. Huh? Yeah. That's really unique, Faye. That a mugshot or your version of Picasso? Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, I'll make you a deal. If anyone can catch him with that drawing, I'll pay you the bounty myself, Faye. Fine, I'll just go catch him myself. You two can stay here and make your funny little jokes. Ha ha. <laughs> so ends another episode of Wasting Time with Faye. Uh, we're going to start off with our very arbitrary system here. Uh, <laughs> category. So so because we, we don't often have two guests, but when we do, we kind of take the average between the two scores. But I think you guys are going to come to agree on a lot of the scores here. Um, so I would imagine so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's start off with category number one. Scale of one to ten. How epic in scope is this movie? I would say, I would probably give this a, can we do decimals, halves, or fractions? <laughs> Absolutely. All right, three and three-eighths. <laughs> My reason for that, you know, I understand that the whole planet of Mars is in, uh, is in the balance here, but, I mean, there's a whole universe that they could be messing with here. And then, like you said, it really seems like throughout the movie, even the whole, you know, planet of mars doesn't seem like it's effective it's all uh focused in this one city so that's that's kind of my reason for the mm -hmm. rating there yeah i'd be about the same i was thinking probably like like a three or four so pretty much in, right in the same uh ballpark there and for the same reasons uh the only thing to add would be once again <laughs> the, the stakes weren't higher than even some of the episodes in the show mm -hmm. and i don't know if that's the best thing to compare it to in terms of you know, we're, you know, we could be talking about all the other space operas and everything else that we've seen, but even with that, um, I, I, I think that the scale of it and how epic was it, it wasn't that outstanding. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. So we'll bump that up then to an average of three and sixteen thirty-six twos. Um, I think that's uh, what it comes out to, clean, which yeah. is convenient. Got it. For me, uh, I'm gonna go with a four. I'm actually, I'm in the same camp. I think you guys are right. You know, I get to see Titan a little bit, which I think. That's the same war with uh, that Vicious is in, right? Yes, yeah, I believe so. I think so, which is pretty cool. But we, we barely see any of Titan. Uh, and yeah, we're just focused on Mars, even just that one city. Trevor? 
Yeah, so I'm gonna not let you... I mean, I could let y'all sway my opinions with facts and context, but I'm just not that type of person. Um, so I'm gonna give this a six. Uh, it felt more epic to me than I guess it did to y'all. Um, again, when I read that there's like this situation going on on Mars, like like the first thing I did when you wanted to watch this movie like a month ago at least, I looked up the plot for it and I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. But I just, there just wasn't enough, and, and I'm basing it off of the stuff we've seen. There wasn't enough planet hopping for me, but there was a good amount of like like some dog fights and stuff like that going. I'm gonna give it a six. I think that makes a lot of sense, having not seen the show too. Um, was to feel like it was a little bit more grand than uh, than if you watched episodes that, like I'm saying, encapsulate a lot of the you know same scale of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, would would make sense. Right. We have a whole episode on Venus, for which is so sweet. I love that episode. Oh, yeah. I, I won't be treated throughout these rankings of, uh, hey, that makes sense, I guess, if you don't know what you're talking about. By the way, Trevor, I wanted <laughs> oh, to ask God. you, um, do you, did you have any big questions uh, after you finished this movie, like maybe about the history or anything about the characters or whatnot? My, my only question was where, where I mean, and, I, and the movie does an okay job with picking it up, but I, I had mentioned it earlier, it's just like, where are we in the relationship of I, I don't remember the names of the characters i mean i know y'all know them but where are we in the relationship of these characters it'd be like if i was watching guardians of the galaxy 3 or something having not seen the first two and like like mm-hmm. you know gamora was on some other planet and fuck, i don't know the fucking names of the characters I rocket was on another planet or whatever mm-hmm. um I, I just needed to know what the context was and it turns out you guys didn't care too much to explain that, so couldn't have been. Couldn't have been <laughs> well, that I, I think I think you having no idea what you're talking about <laughs> makes that a completely valid statement. <laughs> yeah, uh... I, th- I mean they just kind of come together pretty slowly. Like I, I, it, it starts out with Spike and Jet, and you know they're working together as bounty hunters. They find Ayn in the first episode. Ayn stands with them. Uh, mm-hmm. Then they they run into Faye a couple times in the next few episodes, and she decides to stay. And then Edward's not till like episode nine, and she, she like, convinces everyone to let them take her with them. Mm. So it, it's pretty like it's pretty ragtag and loose. It's a little, okay. it's, it's less put together than like everyone being in jail, you know, at the same time. Cool. And this is between twenty two and twenty three. So this is picks up. Okay, I got you. Yeah. Um, so category number two, how colorful is the movie? Hmm. visually yes like how many colors did they use <laughs> yeah you can quantify it like that at least a couple uh-huh. <laughs> i remember seeing some brown in there so that's a that's a 10 right off the bat no i would say um it's interesting that i feel like from what i remember it's been a while since i saw the movie maybe about a month ago for me also but i feel like going back to that convenience store drugstore scene that might have been the most colorful scene in the movie with all the you know colorful advertised uh products there but the movie definitely has its own color palette Mm -hmm. i'm not sure if that gives it any points jesus Uh, i tried to listen to someone justify that a movie has its own color palette (laughs) oh boy (laughs) let's see here um i think you know i I enjoy the colors in this movie but i i wouldn't say that this movie is very colorful necessarily maybe i give it a six i was thinking of it more in terms of like style Mm -hmm. uh which like we've kind of talked about is really the driving force for me with with the film and the show 
Um, so I thought on on the like you said the arbitrary scales that you've kind of come up with the, the ranking questions. Uh, I think this one is going to be much higher than the others for me. So how colorful did I think it is? Again, thinking like style, artwork, um, animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go higher. I'm gonna give it like a like a nine. I think that's really kind of the standout of this thing is like the stylistic elements of it. Interesting. Okay, so we'll average that out to seven and a half, Trevor. Got it. Um, yeah, I uh, I mean, I cl- completely agree. It, this is a little bit cheating in this category because um, it is the only animated film that we've watched. Um, unfortunately, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but Trevor and I have watched Flash Gordon recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that movie, I think, ruined the color question for the rest of it because, I mean, they just they blew it out of the park with some of the scenes in there. More colorful than even this animated movie. Taking everything into account... I'd probably give it a six. Um, yeah, so I, what I do is I write down my ratings before I hear y'all talk, and I don't let your um, uh, stuff sway me. So I wrote down six as well, Adam, uh-huh. uh, for the exact reason of having seen Flash Gordon, The Fifth Element, Jupiter Ascending coming into this. Um, you know, it, I'm going to say this, and I know it's a hot take, but it, it has its own color palette. Um, so I'm going to give it a six. I'm giving it a six. <laughs> really interesting take. <laughs> Um, now, now, when you wrote that question, were you literally meaning the colors? Yeah. Because, I, so, like I said, I took it a little bit more abstractly. Yeah, so what we do at the beginning in our intro to Space Opera episode that you definitely listen to, but I'll, I'll remind you, um, <laughs> is that we look up the definition of space opera, and it's basically we take what is, like, the most generic version of a genre like this, and then we just base five questions on it. Uh, so literally one of the things that are... Uh, defining about space operas is that they are typically very colorful like literally colorful gotcha makes sense so so don't watch flash gordon otherwise everything else will just be a humongous disappointment yeah absolutely ruined um again you know what's kind of funny is like all of our movies that we've seen so far for this series um kind of mix back and loop into each other i watched uh, i think it was like episode 22 of the show um the one with the real cowboy and be- whenever they cut to commercial and cut back, they have like a unique art of the Cowboy Bebop logo. And I sent this to Trevor and the the logo in that episode was Flash Gordon, you know, which is cool. You know, it's all coming back and, and obviously all the influences and everything. We didn't want to watch any like specifically really good space opera movies for this series. So that's why we're not talking <laughs> about 2001 or uh, Blade Runner. Well, we let the guests bring on a lot of the episodes, or the, a lot of the uh, shows, so it's like, of course, they're going to pick stuff that's not good because we don't have anybody with taste coming on the show. But Flash Gordon <laughs> is based uh, out of the 40s, and, you know, a lot of this, like, that's a serial from the 40s, so, like, Star Wars is based on it. The Fifth Element is based on it. There's a scene in Jupiter setting that is literally the wedding scene from Flash Gordon. So Flash Gordon really did, um, the, the, the you know, despite having the lowest score of any of the movies we've watched so far does set the template completely but we're not talking about the 1980 film we're talking about like the the serial it was based off of right but uh let's get to category number three here how unprepared slash reluctant is the hero Hmm. you know honestly in terms of like the arc of the show i felt like uh he was less reluctant than normal because mm-hmm. um, the whole premise is they're kind of, you know, they're bounty hunters. So everything that they're doing is literally just to make money, not because they're invested, but he actually gets pretty invested in the uh, kind of the back history of the, the man that they're chasing as well as the, uh, 
the gal he runs into while doing so Electra pretty quickly and more so than normal um, I felt so this is actually a little bit lower than I would have guessed going into it because again usually he, he is quite reluctant um, but so I'm going to give a, I, I just I'd go with a let's say four for this one too yeah I agree with Russell on this one compared you know just in terms of this show um, he's pretty reluctant on most of those other bounties but uh, for this one, um, let's see. So more reluctant, reluctant would be a higher number, correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I would go. I would also give it around a four. Okay. Yeah, I hear what you guys are saying. I think uh, here Spike is—he's uh, very. E- I mean, he's always eager to go out and get the thing. That, you know, now he's entwined his soul with this person, so he's like constantly going out there. So he's definitely not reluctant. Um, unprepared, I would say barely. He's usually the coolest one. I'm going to give it a one. <laughs> uh, Adam, I wrote down two. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I hate to do this to your movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> I hate to do it. But it's just not It's not doing it right now on this scale. And that's okay. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, like you said, it's probably the best movie that we're going to see for this whole series. Um, no, I mean, I mean, so far it's clearly the worst. It's uh-huh. it's just bombing this scale. But... <laughs> All right, uh, let's get to category number four. How optimistic is the movie? Oof, boy. Hmm. Interesting. I, you know, I think it probably kind of wraps up in a in a bit more of an optimistic way. Mm-hmm. Um, everything does kind of get resolved um in a way where i mean yeah there's there's plenty of violence throughout but um ultimately um well i don't know there's a lot of different elements because you know they they do stop the villain and they accomplish what they're trying to do Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day i mean like the government of mars was behind this whole conspiracy to they didn't care about you know stopping the thing they just wanted to erase all their ties with it Mm -hmm. uh along with the pharmaceutical company that uh kind of started everything off with the uh, research so unless i'm wrong i don't know that that ever really gets fully addressed am i forgetting something no i think you're right so at first i was going to say it's pretty optimistic but at the end of the day like the giant dark webs and undertones of everything that kind of caused this whole problem were still intact and didn't really get addressed so i wouldn't i wouldn't exactly call it optimistic so i'm kind of changing my mind as i'm you know talking talking it through here and i'm gonna give it let's see i'll give it a five okay to kind of balance it out because again they optimistic in terms of they do kind of save the day and you know you know fix everything that they needed to fix you know they stopped Mm -hmm. the virus but at the end of the day they didn't really uh make a dent in the actual problem right yeah i would say it didn't seem like the goal of this movie was to give a optimistic or very hopeful message about some existential thing so i don't really think that this movie you know addresses that or it seems like you know this movie is just another you know adventure for these guys a day in the, in the life for them so i wouldn't say that it's uh again i don't i don't think its goal is to be very optimistic here i would say i give it a four on on this question okay we'll do 4.5 um yeah i'm in the same boat with you guys i feel like because at the end, we just end up at the same place where we started, basically. You're right. And usually, uh, usually I feel like the episodes tend to have a darker ending in a lot of cases. This one, 
This one is a little bit brighter, but you're right. It didn't really change much. I'll give it a five, too. Uh, I wrote down five, guys. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we're all basically in the same boat here. I don't have any context. I didn't know that episodes ended more pessimistic, but this was neither optimistic nor pessimistic. It's the definition of a five. There we go. Uh, all right. Category number five. How cool is the tech? Okay, let's go. I think what's interesting about the show and the movie is, you know, the technology isn't necessarily futuristic, but it's, I feel like, a very nice mix of, you know, older technology or current technology and, you know, futuristic technology with, you know, traveling through space and the spaceships, but then also um, the action. You know, there's still gunfights, there's still bar scenes. In this movie, there's a, um, you know, there's a parade going on in the end. And then in episode 25 also, um, there's a there's just a car chase. And the woman being chased is just driving like a red convertible. <laughs> so how cool is the tech? I would give it, I think that's very cool. So I would give that an eight. But how futuristic is the tech? If that were the question, it would probably be closer maybe a four right yeah I, I totally agree with gabe i personally like the more realistic take when it comes to kind of futurism stuff um it's not all that far in the future so there's not like an overuse of like all these little gadgets and all kinds of stuff popping up which, which can be really cool mm. uh but for the style of the show i mean again calling out the name of it cowboy bebop you know it really kind of allows you to have a good mix of both where there's a lot of cool tech i mean uh, like i think i said one of my favorite parts of the show is always when they have the spaceship stuff going on. I think maybe my favorite episode, there's one specifically about him just going to get his ship repaired. And then they, at the end, kind of end up launching out uh, with a uh, like an old school uh, like NASA rocket, which I just thought was sweet. Yeah. And I like that it is just like a few steps ahead because, again, we're, we're talking about 2070. So I don't think it'd be too much. So uh, I agree with Gabe. Um, I'll probably come in at like a seven. All right. So we'll do a 7.5. Um, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I love that every, it's more fashionable than it is futuristic almost. Like everything has an aged quality already, even, you know, the spaceships and everything, um, which I love. You know, he's not, he's not trying to be too flashy. Again, I think he's just going back to cool. And the things that he thinks are cool, the creator of the show, are old westerns, you know, stylized things like that. Cool blues tunes, just music from the past kind of thing. Um, I will say... You know, there's a lot of cool spaceships and whatnot in this movie. My favorite piece of tech might be that instant ramen warmer that they use at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pulls it right off. Uh, that was pretty sweet. Uh, so I'll give it an eight. Um, this is crazy. I, um, do you look at the sheet while I'm doing it by any chance? Yeah, I do. Okay, so I wrote down eight. Yeah, yeah. so I, I've been in step with y'all basically this whole way, which is... Um, you know, some might argue it doesn't make for a better podcast that we're also agreeable here on how eh, the movie is. But um, given the context of Flash Gordon, which is like a, basically a fantasy movie where they try to just guess what the tech would be like in that world. You have Star Wars, The Fifth Element, Jupiter Ascending, which all have different uh, degrees of not steampunk, but like halfway to steampunk. Like Star Wars is famous for having like a lived in galaxy. Like that was the whole appeal to it, basically, is that it didn't feel so cold uh, in space, it was just like, oh, the people have been living here for a while on these planets. 
So I did like like the halfway to steampunk vibe here. Um, definitely the mix between modern technology and what would be in the future. So I'm giving it a solid four to five or an eight. Nice. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Russell keeps touching on it, but the, the space travel stuff that they have, a lot of like the the hypergates or whatever they call them and the ads in space and the, the satellites and everything are some of the coolest parts of the show easily. And I, I'm sad that we didn't get to see too much of that. Right, like we said, they really kind of spent most of the most of the film on the planet in that specific city. Even. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so now our bonus category: How evil is the villain? Hmm, I thought that for this one, uh, you know, the action he's doing, wanting to murder everyone on a single planet, that is, you know, that's pretty evil. <laughs> but it seems like he was more. Uh, vengeful and insane than doing it just <laughs> for being evil, but just based on the action alone, I I would say that that is at least that is a six and a half for me. Okay. Yeah, you know when I hear evil villain and I'm talking about space operas, um, I'm thinking of the Emperor Palpatine uh-huh. right away. I mean, this dude, I he is such a hilarious character because usually a good villain is going to have some depth and some elements of you being able to kind of identify with where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Not so with Palpatine. <laughs> I mean, he is just, he is straight evil and it is hilarious. And I love it personally. This character wasn't that way. I mean, he's kind of a victim himself, right? So he was kind of abused by the government of Mars and again, they're more concerned with covering up the fact that they have anything to do with this pathogen than they are with helping or protecting the people that, you know, may be, may be injured by it. So with that in mind, I didn't really see him as a super evil villain necessarily. Um, but like Gabe said, he is still trying to kill everyone on the planet and has completely lost his mind. So, um, yeah, I'll give it a, I'd probably give him a six. All right. So we'll do it. I thought he was an interesting character. Clean seven. Um, yeah, I'm right there with you guys. You know, if anything, the real villain is how the Martian government treats their vets. And they come back. <laughs> exactly, dude. Uh, for you two, Gabe and Russ, this is a running theme throughout our show that we love to call out the mistreatment of vets because that's just <laughs> how we are politically. <laughs> and uh, well, it's a huge problem. I'm, I'm glad you know someone's taking a stand. Yeah, even in the future, in 2070, when it's still going down. <laughs> Um, but, right. but yeah, I agree. You know, one of the cool things about, uh, about Cowboy Bebop, and we see it specifically in one of the cooler episodes, Pierre Lefou, um, that the villains, oh, wow. the bad guys tend to be, uh, victims themselves, you know, and uh, we see that definitely here. So it's hard to fault him too much. I, I do feel bad for the guy who's sort of like living in the, in a weird dream state. So I'm, I'm going to say six. Uh, yeah, I wrote down seven. Uh, it's pretty pretty basic here, I suppose, that if someone wants to kill everyone living on a single planet, they're pretty evil. Um, I do want to bring up something interesting here uh, regarding this. Uh, this movie in Japan was released 10 days after 9-11. Do we have any thoughts on that? Interesting. I bet Kermit would. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, wow. I wonder how well-received or how popular it was at the time or what the thought was at the time. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. And the, I mean, on that note, too, I mean, I, there was definitely ties to the current pandemic, which I thought was kind of interesting. I mean, right. nothing crazy, but the fact that it's an airborne pathogen that is spreading rapidly and is uh, 
you know, potentially lethal, I, th- I thought was interesting. But yeah, I would imagine that probably didn't uh, didn't go over super well. Uh, when was when was it released uh, in terms of that here? Uh, it was in 2002, I believe. It was like August of 2002. It was like a lot, lot, lot. They later. gave a, lo- a little breathing breathing room there. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because we do see a lot of, I think at one point we do see two tall towers silhouetted. Um, and then I think, I think the opening uh, credit sequence is actually just like New York scenes from New York, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, I don't recall if it showed like specific New York buildings, um, but I know in, throughout the show, it's really prevalent that, I mean, the whole premise is like Earth was destroyed pretty much um, or at least laid to waste so people don't live on it any longer. And there's definitely a lot of like nostalgic ties back to it. Um, for a lot of the characters and they they do consistently show clips of it or flashbacks to it so mm-hmm. i wouldn't I, I would think that would definitely stay in line with the rest of it i don't recall if it was specifically like if it showed you know notable things that are specifically new york i, I don't remember mm-hmm. um i do want to point out if the this is taking place in 2071 and everyone has left earth i believe the timeline does anyone know what year the catastrophe is supposed to happen on earth do do they say it, it yes they said they they said an exact number of years ago that it was i don't recall it is supposed to happen in 2022 <laughs> great <We're ready. laughs> lots to look forward to yeah because i was thinking yeah. in, in the episode with Faye's backstory like it kind of alluded to the fact that she might be around our age like she might have been born around our time oh shit she's also 20 well, she gets uh, cryogenically frozen for a long time. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Right. So, like 50 years, I think it was, right? <laughs> Something about yeah. that. So like me, she's like 22? Yeah, yeah she's, she's, she's just like us. Real young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go over the final scores here. It looks like Gabe and Russ have agreed on giving the film a 34 out of 50. Not bad, not bad. Uh, Adam, this is your movie. You have given it a 30 out of 50. I'm sorry. I no, I appreciate you uh, giving it the the real deal on the scale there. I do I do appreciate that. Uh, and then just like Gabe and Russ, I have also given the film a 34 out of 50, which gives it a total of 98 oh, out of 150, no. which would place it at um, dead last in the space opera uh, <laughs> category and also dead last in the history of this podcast. Good job, everyone. <laughs> oh, man. Great work all around. That's a bummer. Yeah, I mean, like we like we keep saying, I don't know. this. It didn't feel that space opera-y. And I, I think that is just kind of reflected in the score. Like you guys said, I don't, you know, I haven't seen all the movies that you guys have been watching for this specific category. Um, but it, I would imagine it's the best worst one out of them. <laughs> I would say maybe that this show is trying to, you know, give us a message that it is too cool to be pinned down to one single category then maybe we shouldn't try to box it in right which is why gabe and i started uh this podcast off by not answering adam's question about genres (laughs) i appreciate that you know we're two steps ahead all the time (laughs) um to give you two some context my pick jupiter ascending that we talked about last week didn't receive a 98 it received a 159 Uh out of 150 out of 150 correct because we have the bonus category spectacular wow and just in case you guys are wondering that movie stars mila kunis and channing tatum <laughs> okay and eddie right. redmayne oscar winner eddie redmayne That's right. <laughs> so there you go who, who, need, who needs rotten tomatoes when the world has youtube right exactly uh to guide them <laughs> i mean i think you're right uh, you know i picked this movie not having seen it uh because i know my two best buds over here russ and gabe were watching the show 
and I thought it would have been a good tie-in because the show is like is space opera by definition. You know, it's a great as a whole. You'd put it in that genre, um, but the movie didn't quite touch on that as much. Um, but before we go here, Russ and Gabe, uh, at at the uh, during our final episode of this season, we like to give out the awards to all the movies that we watched, um, and we like to have the guests bring their own awards. So. If you wouldn't mind, what might you two create for an award to give these movies out at the end of the series? I always give the context here. This is They're called the ghosties. We give away the silver ghosties because mm-hmm. we call, don't call them the golden ghosties because A, that would be way better with alliteration, and B, they're not made out of gold. We make them out of silver. Mm-hmm. So to give you some <laughs> examples, uh, we have the Trevor Dillon Award for Clever Villain, the Adam uh, Cervantes-Wagner Award for Lamest Planet, the Jordan DJ Award for Shitty Red Main. By the way, the names I'm saying are past guests of this series. The Cody Chavez Award for Biggest Battle. Uh, the Haley Mervini Award for Most Realistic Future. The Katie Tomeni Award for Most Pew Pew Laser. The Diego Crespo Award for Most Colorful Motion Picture. A secret award that I am not revealing to anybody, including my co-host. Well, and then right. now we're going to have you two give out each one, one each. Do you want to do one each, Adam? Yeah. All right, so uh, Gabe, go first. You said the Pew Pew Laser Award was already taken? <laughs> yes, yes, that, that okay. was done. Okay, well, I guess in that case, my award would actually be the Gabe F. Montemayor uh, emoji of the guy wearing sunglasses. Uh-huh. The Or, you know, cool, cool award. Parentheses. Okay, here it is. The full award name is emoji of the guy with the sunglasses. Parentheses. Cool award. Okay. Can we phrase that as a the Gabriel F. Montemay Award award for emoji with the guy wearing sunglasses? Parentheses. Cool. <laughs> with with the word parentheses spelled out. Right. right. You're not talking about using parentheses. Oh, sorry. No, on. the phrase with parentheses is in there. There's no actual parentheses <laughs> in there. You got that, Trevor. Yeah, are you watching me write it down right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. And then I I don't have to explain that award to you. Yeah, we, you should know what that we means. We got that one. Yeah, you got it. Uh, right. Russell? Yeah, uh, I didn't quite put as much thought into it as Gabe uh, did. Um, but uh, in, in line with the movie, I want to call out to Total Recall. And my award is going to be the Russell Frankson Award for Best Mindfuck Yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for Best M-F-Y. <laughs> yes. Wait, that's not what Russell said, Adam. <laughs> uh, don't worry. Uh, uh, the Russ Award for Best Mindfuck Yet. Thank you. Excellent. Two great choices. And when you award it, um, if you could, do Arnold the, the Arnold ultimate the Schwarzenegger impression. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It needs to be read out with a Schwarzenegger impression. All right. Well, we do live to serve you, so I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> um, if you would. Serve Arnold, not for me. And uh, a quick heads up, if this movie, Cowboy Bebop, happens to win any uh, of the awards previously mentioned, um, we're going to ask you guys to leave me a voice message, and then we'll have it play on the show, accepting the award. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for that uh, award show. That's going to be loco. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Gabe. We appreciate that. Now we're here at the end of the show. Let's talk about some plugs. Uh Gabe, do you have any any socials or anything you'd like to plug? Anything you're working on? Anything that I'm working on? Yeah. No. 
Where nothing. Can, where can we get those sweet, sweet tweets I heard earlier? That uh, that Twitter is a private account. You can request to follow me. I will not accept it. But if you'd like to follow me, that is. What is my... At Gable Dino, G-A-B-E-L-D-I-N-H-O. I will not spell it again. <laughs> and, uh, Russell, what are, what are you working on these days? Where do you want to plug? Sure. Um... Hold on, let me pull it up here. So I am, as you know, Adam, in a band. Yes. And we are working pretty hard over the last couple of months on uh, our new material. So we're working on uh, laying down all the tracks and getting a whole new album out, uh, hopefully to go along with the end of being locked up at home. Mm. Uh, so the name of the group is Tokyo Lucky Hole. Uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we have a .NET website, which is, you know, where you want to be. Mm. So, uh, yeah, check us out. Um, I don't have the handles of it in front of me. I can check it out though. Let me see if I can pull it. Yeah, I uh, I have seen Tokyo Lucky Hole perform like what maybe forty times now, and every time it just gets better. The fortieth time was a lot better than the thirty ninth. A lot of people have given us that feedback. <laughs> and uh, Tokyo Lucky Hole has been actively touring in packed clubs for the past year. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, no one's been there because of the uh, the pandemic, but we have. You know, we're up there on stage giving it our all. Nice. So, um, yeah, just because the world stops, Tokyo Lucky Hole does not. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yeah, the you Instagram handle socials? for that is just Tokyo Lucky Hole. Okay. Wow, that wasn't Perfect. taken. <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> not. Um, if you're if you're googling it, it is named after an erotic uh, Japanese book. So you may want to add the word "band" at the end of it. Or <laughs> if you're in the market for yeah. that type of thing. Leave it as is. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we don't judge our listeners over here. Uh, Trevor, what about you? Yes, I am on Letterboxd, at Captain Dills, where I have a running tab of all the movies we talk about on the show and where they rank in their perspective series. My personal is at Trevor Dills, and I will accept, uh, on Instagram and Twitter. And also always follow us at Ghost Party Picks on other socials. Of course, we uh, are always posting about the podcast and upcoming screenings we're doing uh, in partnership with the Frida Cinema and stuff like that. Uh, when this episode drops, if you're listening to it the day it comes out, we are playing a double feature. It's not King Kong versus Godzilla. It is King Kong and Godzilla on a double feature together. What a world. Uh, yeah, and Ghost Party is also co-presenting a, a screening on April 2nd, uh, two 40th anniversary films. That would be Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, and Escape from New York. Nice. Um, I do love The Road Warrior. You can find me at Projector Fuel on Instagram and uh, my website, Adam J.C. Wagner, where I post all the movie stuff I make. Thank you guys so much, Russell and Gabe, for being here. I really appreciate it. Love talking to you guys. Miss you guys so much. Can't wait to see you soon. Yeah, this was a, this was a great time. Love talking to you guys. And I just wanted to confirm that um, everything that I had said today is that's not on the record, correct? <laughs> that's right. I'll, 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 I'll cut it out. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us, man. Stay loco. <laughs> yeah. Gabe, Russ, uh, super loco. I really <laughs> appreciate the the loco vibes you guys brought to this podcast. Hopefully people find it pretty, pretty, pretty loco. I think I would say, I would say very loco and let's close out the show. Go, uh, <laughs> with this, pay us our money, pay us our money. <laughs> uh, and that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Ghost Party Radio. Trevor, we have officially... Bebop the Cowboy. Bye. Bye. Bye.
That's a 10.